When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Terrio Media. Alrighty, on today's show, I want to introduce you to two current private REI Ace clients and let you hear from them how after about a year and a half or so of us working together, how they left their cushy six-figure corporate jobs in the car industry to invest in real estate full-time. And you'll never believe what their business has turned into and what they're doing today. But first, let's kick off the show with how to get started investing in real estate in the first place. Let's go back to the basics and just make sure that we're not missing anything. And if you are just getting started, this is be a really great episode for you. Alrighty, you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the all new Epic Real Estate Investing Show. The longest running real estate investing podcast on the interwebs. Your source for housing market updates, creative investing strategies, and everything else you need to retire early. Some audio may be pulled from our weekly videos and may require visual support. To get the full premium experience, check out Epic Real Estate's YouTube channel, epicrei.tv. If you want to make money in real estate, sit tight and stay tuned. If you want to go far, share this with a friend. If you want to go fast, go to reiace.com. Here's Matt. Okay, so I'm going to walk you through eight specific steps to get started in real estate investing. And they come in a specific sequence. And you don't want to really mess with that sequence. I've seen it over and over when people take these steps, but they kind of take them conveniently in their own sequence. And what happens is they don't get the results or they don't get them as fast as they wanted to get them. And or they just flat out eventually give up. And I don't want that to be you. So follow me through this. And if at the end you need some additional help, I will show you exactly how to get it. Now, number one, get educated because there's a saying, there are no bad real estate investments, just uneducated investors. Now, it may appear really simple by just after watching the, the latest Flip That House show, but not so fast. You got to slow down a little bit because there's real money at play. Oftentimes, it's your money and oftentimes, it's really big money. So you better know what you're doing before you get started. But I also say, don't let that intimidate you either. Realistically, today, there's probably enough free information right there online for you to get started and to get started effectively. Also, aside from me, you've got a ton of options out there. But keep in mind, it is possible to over-educate. Or I should say, unnecessarily educate yourself. You don't need to know everything about real estate investing to get started. You only really need to see the first step. I think it was Dr. Martin Luther King who said that very thing. You don't need to see the whole staircase to take the first step. And this is just like that. You see, there's a million different ways to make a million bucks in real estate, and you only need to pick one. So do a little digging, take your time, do a little research, and find somebody or something that really resonates with you. Choose it, make a decision, and stick with it. If you'd like to start by looking at working with me one-on-one, and we do have some of those long-term expensive programs, but we've got other less intensive options as well. Head on over to reiace.com 
answer a few questions, and then pick a time for us to hop on the phone, and then we'll brainstorm about what type of program would be the best fit for you, if a program is good for you at all or not. So number two, set some goals. So after doing your initial research, your initial investigation, you'll have a, a really good idea as to what type of financial obligation may be involved. It is possible to get started with as little as a thousand bucks, maybe even less in some circumstances. And this is exactly how I got started. And that's to say, if you want to become a successful real estate investor, money is never the obstacle. Most people think they've got a money problem, but in reality, all they've got is an idea problem. More on that later. But you want to decide what the end game is. Do you want to pick up a few rental properties for your portfolio? Do you want to turn it into a side hustle to earn some extra income? Or do you want to take it on full time and replace your day job's income and completely walk away from it? So go ahead and write down what you want to have happen in the next six months, in the next 12 months, in the next five years. And you typically don't need longer than that to create financial independence for yourself. Next, reverse engineer your whole plan. Start from that five-year point and work your way backwards. If you and I happen to get on the phone, I can certainly help you out with that. Number three, analyze your resources. I mean, what does your money look like or your access to money? I mean, there are plenty of ways to get started investing in real estate with no money, but it is much easier if you do have some. But with that in mind, it doesn't have to be your money. It just has to be access to money. You can use other people's money. And in many cases, that's probably the more prudent way to do it. And I've got a list of sources of other people's money. Now, depending on where you're starting, then some of these might be a little bit more applicable than others, but here's a list nonetheless. So the seven OPM, other people's money sources, include first an FHA loan. This is a loan insured by the federal government. And it typically doesn't come with the strict lending guidelines that a conventional loan would come with. It requires a smaller down payment, a lesser credit score, a fixed interest rate, and a long-term loan. Those are the types of things you're looking for as a real estate investor. And a lot of that, almost, yeah, all of that is available right there in the FHA loan. The only requirement with an FHA loan is you have to live in the property first, but then you can eventually turn it into an income property. It's a great way to get started with very little money. Another great loan that might be available to you is a VA loan. Now you need prior military service to qualify, but what's great about the VA loan is it's 0% down. It's got a long-term fixed rate and this too, you also have to live in first, but it's a great way to get started if you have access to it. Now, a third example of other people's money could be a conforming loan. And this is kind of what we all know as real estate financing. You walk into a bank and that loan is going to be backed by the federal government. You're going to need anywhere from five to 20% down. You're going to get a fixed rate. You're going to get a long-term loan also. But this you don't have to live in it first. You could use this for an investment property or your primary residence. If you have the credit score and the financial means for a down payment, this is a really great loan to acquire also, especially with interest rates as low as they are right now. Now, another example of other people's money is a portfolio loan. Now, this is a very different type of loan. It still comes from a bank, but you're going to have slightly different lending qualifications. There are going to be different guidelines. And what's different about this loan is it stays within the bank. That conventional loan I talked about earlier, that bank is going to take that loan and they're going to sell it on the secondary market where the bank gets money back, which gives them more liquidity to go out and lend that money out again. With the portfolio loan, that's going to stay internal and they're going to be responsible for the servicing of that loan and they're going to be liable should their borrower default. But what's really nice about this is they can be much more flexible. And if you have a really good relationship with your bank, that could be a great option for you too. Now, a fifth option for other people's money are what we call hard money loans. Now, these are asset-based loans. And what that means is 
the lender is not going to so much look at your credit score as they are going to look at the asset that you plan to purchase with their money. That ultimately represents their security. Now, with these loans typically comes a shorter term, so it's not really a long-term situation for you, but it's great to acquire the property and arrange different types of financing later. And they're also going to come in with higher fees. But it's a really great tool of the real estate investor to go ahead and make their acquisitions and figure out permanent financing later. And then there are private lenders, private money you might have heard of. And that can be a real big mystery for people because they're always looking for private money lenders. And what they don't realize is that private money really should be referred to as relationship money because that's exactly what it is. It's your your family, it's your friends, your associates who you go to for these loans and they can become the bank or the financing for your real estate investments there. What's really nice about that is through that relationship, you can get some really great rates and you can really create some magic for yourself if you've got the right lenders in your corner. Now, the seventh form of other people's money is seller financing. Now, this is my favorite. It's what I've used to build my entire real estate portfolio. So traditionally where you go to a bank to get a loan to purchase a property, in this case, the seller becomes the bank. The seller steps in and gives you that loan. Now, they don't actually give you a loan, but what you're doing is you're essentially buying that property with an IOU. You're saying, here's a little bit of money now, and then I'm going to give you this amount of money over time. If you'd like to go deeper into seller financing and other creative financing methods, you might really like what I put together for you over at epicbreakthrough.com. It's a great way to get started in creative financing, epicbreakthrough.com. So the type of financing that you choose for your real estate investments is really going to depend on your financial situation and your experience. Just understand the more options that you have available, the more real estate investing you'll be able to do, the more profit you'll be able to generate. Now here at Epic, we provide 100% financing for our clients for their fix and flips, and we provide the best rates in the business for their buy and holds. And if that's something you'd like to take a closer look at, head over to reiace.com. You'll answer a few questions, then you'll have an opportunity to pick a time for us to hop on the phone. We'll brainstorm some ideas about what the future of your real estate investing looks like. And if there's a good fit, we'll tell you exactly what there is to do next so you can work with us. If there's not a good fit, we can give you some options that might work out better for you also. So number four, choose a specific real estate investing strategy. And this doesn't need to be a long, drawn out, complicated process either. Looking at your goals and your experience is going to give you a really good idea as to where you need to begin. At reiace.com, we can help you navigate that for free if you'd like. But for example, if cash is your biggest need, then maybe wholesaling or fix and flip is going to be the best option for you right now. If you're looking to build an income portfolio or really kind of build on to your wealth, then buy and hold single family homes might be the best starting point. But don't overthink this. The goal is to get started. You can make adjustments on the way. Just remember, you can't steer a parked car. So just get started. Number five, pick your market. And a lot of people struggle with this because they think that their market is too competitive, that it's oversaturated, and they think they have to go invest in a market other than theirs to get real opportunity. That couldn't be further from the truth. You know, I've got a client, Jeremiah, and uh, when we met, he wanted to invest in a different market. And I advised him, don't do it, don't do it. And then at the same time, coincidentally, I had another client, Chris, and he wanted to invest in another market as well. And I told him the same thing, don't do it, don't do it. So Jeremiah, he ignored my advice and invested in the other market. And he did really, really well for himself. And then Chris listened to my advice and invested in his own market, did not go to the other market. He listened to me, stayed in his own market, and he 
didn't do really well. And in fact, I don't even know what he's doing today. And you might be thinking, well, this is great, Matt. If we just do the opposite of what you say, we're going to be successful. No, my point is Jeremiah ignored my advice and invested in another market was very successful. Here's the irony. The market he chose was the very market that Chris lived in. So it's not the market that's going to determine your success. It's the real estate investor. So the quick and dirty way to choose your market is first, pick one within driving distance of where you spend most of your time. And what I mean by driving distance is if you are sitting down at the dinner table with your family and you get a phone call from a motivated seller says that, and they say they are ready to sell their property, how far are you willing to drive in that type of situation to go out and get that contract signed? That should be your driving distance. So that's number one. The second, look for your working class neighborhoods, like your blue collar neighborhoods. Where do your police officers live? Where do your school teachers live? Where do your government employees live? Um, where's the neighborhood where first time home buyers move to? Like that newly married couple, they go out and they buy their first house. Where is that in your area? That's the market you really want to look at because that's where all of the activity is. Typically, people will move into there, they'll make a little bit of money, and then they'll move out. So there's a lot of buying and selling in those markets. So there's a lot of opportunity for you to get as well. And then you kind of want to factor in, you want to get right at the median or just below the median price point for the area. Because again, that's where all the activity is. And then you want to look for three bedroom, two bath houses. Because if you're going to be flipping your house or you're going to be renting your house out, the three bedroom, two bath houses are the ones that are in highest demand. Follow those guidelines and that'll be a really good start. Again, you can make some modifications along the way, but that's an ideal starting point for most people in most markets. Number six, establish your minimum deal standards. Meaning, what is the minimum profit you'd be willing to accept if you were to flip a property? And what is the minimum cash flow you'd be willing to accept if you were to hold the property? For example, the first thing I do when I'm looking at a property and determining whether or not I wanna look at it any deeper is I wanna know two things. Does it have equity? And will it cash flow? So I'm looking for what is the purchase price that I'm likely to get this property for and what is it worth and what's the difference? Is there a potential for me to hit my minimum deal standard there if I were to flip the property? Further, if I were to hold on to it, what is it rent for and what's the purchase price? What's that ratio? So is it likely to cash flow if I were to buy and hold it? It's got to be a yes for both of those for this to be worthy of my time to do further research. The most successful real estate investors are able to make quick decisions and act fast. And because they know exactly what their minimum deal standards are, when they see it, it makes fast actions really, really easy. The best real estate investors, they're not buyers of real estate. The best real estate investors are shoppers. The more clear you are on what you're looking for, the easier it is to shop. The easier it is to make quick decisions, the easier it is to act fast. And the faster you act, the more successful you'll be. Number seven, create a plan and find deals. As much as I'd like it to be true, good real estate deals just don't land in your lap. You got to go out and look for them. And it's akin to, you know, mining for gold. You got to sift through a lot of dirt to find those nuggets. Now there are countless methods for finding deals and every one of them works. Nothing doesn't. Now, contrary to popular belief, you only need one way to go about it. And that's good news for most. The better news is you actually get to pick which one you want to do. I mean, you can work with real estate agents. You can network your way with other real estate investors or centers of influence like, like attorneys and CPAs. Those are all really great ways to find deals. If you're a people person, that might be right up your alley. Not to mention, there's no expense involved. You could also drive through neighborhoods. You can walk through neighborhoods and just look for signs of distress. And when you find one, you can make contact with that owner 
and present an offer to them. That's another great way to find deals. You can pick up the phone and just start calling or texting for sale by owners or pre-foreclosures or expired listings or absentee owners. You can place ads in the classifieds, whether online or off. You can send direct mail. You can work social media. You, I mean, you can place digital ads all over the internet, or you can put a sign on your car and people see your, your name and your phone number as you drive around. Or you can take those signs, you can put them in the ground, you can put them up on telephone poles. Essentially, anywhere you see advertising or marketing is a potential for you to attract deals to yourself. Number eight, now schedule it. You got to schedule the work. If you don't schedule it, it ain't getting done. Now, maybe you've got lots of time or maybe you don't. You know, you really don't need that much time in a, in a few hours a week. You can still become a successful real estate investor. And I put together a free training on this very thing. And I think you'll really like what you see. Head over to mattsfreetraining.com and I'll walk you through the process step by step on how to find deals, how to become a successful real estate investor in as little as an hour a day. Please stand by. We've got overhead to pay. We'll be right back. From coast to coast, epic investors are doing the most. It's time for another epic field report. I'm going to bring on two clients. We're still working together. We've just been working together for a little while. And, uh, we were engaged a lot in the beginning in helping them uh, get started up in their real estate investing. But the, the, the more time passed, the more independent they became. And now there's absolutely crushing it. And it's a partnership. And the second partner just left his job. So now they are both financially free and out there in, in charge of their own lives financially, personally, and just overall. So uh, without further ado, please help me welcome Mr. Tony Romero. And Mr. Matt Young. Welcome, gang. Hello. Hi. This is where you say, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> welcome. Thank I wanted you. to say to it, uh, no second or Romeo, like the book Romeo. What did I say? Juliet. Oh, I, I said, said Romero. Romero. It's like the Spanish way. It's, it. They're okay. really common. Very good. I knew it was Romeo, but my eyes just went off. Yeah. I didn't trust myself and I trusted my eyes and the eyes were wrong. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Lesson good. learned. Anyway, um, welcome, gang. I wanted to bring you on to talk about how you've made this transition from this nice six-figure job that you guys both had and you, you made this transition over to becoming full-time real estate investors. And uh, now we got our eyes set on seven figures. So 2022, I know, is a very exciting <laughs> year for you guys. And so I want to talk all about that and how you made this transition. A lot of my clients are in the same boat as you. Some are further along than others, but recently a bunch kind of fit into that category. A lot of people have signed on to this great resignation <laughs> and they're trying mm -hmm. to uh, go out there and take financial control of their lives. And, and that's what we do here. So thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. And I want to talk about how you did that specifically. But before we start, when we got started working together, when we first met, what was it that you guys were actually trying to accomplish? What was the actual goal? Tony, I'm going to start with you. Our goal together was to get as many doors as possible. And I wanted to I want to think it was like our goal was a hundred doors in two years. So our first original goal was to become landlords and buy as many houses as we possibly could. Then of course it's changed twice since then. And now we do a little bit of everything, but that was definitely the start. And that's where we were thinking that it was going to go the farthest. Got it. So you wanted to be landlords. That's something that you don't hear very often. Uh, what did you interact with or what did you, what was your experience before we met that made you decide that's what you wanted to do? We thought it was the quickest way to financial freedom, mm -hmm. cash flow per month. That's uh, cash flows king. 
that's what we want or that's what we wanted at the beginning. Then we realized that to buy all those houses, we need to have some sort of secondary income to put down payments for uh, right. leveraged loans on those properties. That's where it kind of switched to another option and we started wholesaling deals and we weren't keeping everything. Yeah, that's kind of where our second uh, area win is over into the wholesale deal. Got it. Got it. Matt, anything to add? Were those your same goals? Yeah. Um, I think when we originally started with like this like pyramid idea where we could add four um, and then get four more. And then after like 15 years of adding four a year, we could refinance those out every every year. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of how it originally started. And then we're like, well, I think we could do more than four a year. Um, and then we started talking and just researching and seeing who could help us and what we need to do. Cause I was still working full time at the dealership. Um, mm-hmm. Tony was doing the stay at home dad thing, but just finished at the dealership. So um, we were just trying to brainstorm on what the fastest way to get there was. And that's how we ended up finding you. Perfect. So. Perfect. So if you're able to get out there and be able to accomplish that, Matt, what would that have meant to you professionally? I think I came to a realization probably about two years ago, maybe a little more than two years ago. I didn't want to be in the car business the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really wanted to get out of that 70 hour week grind where you're at the store from seven in the morning till eight 30 at night every day. And I just felt like real estate was that answer. So that's when we started going that route. And I thought about Tony when I was thinking real estate because he originally left the car business to do the same thing when he was already out free to move around. So that's why we, we partnered together. So he had to be that boots on the ground step mm-hmm. while we were transitioning. So got it. Got it. And Tony, I mean, if you were able to accomplish this, become the landlord and create that financial freedom, what would that have meant to you personally? Um, just the just the financial freedom is the biggest thing. Having that cash flow every month to be able to not have to worry and just that guaranteed money coming in. Um, yeah, I mean, literally, it's true freedom. That's mm-hmm. the meaning of freedom to me is to be able to have that cash flow a month and to be able to live off that. Got it. So you explained a little bit when I when, I, when we first started talking how you're initial goal was to become a landlord. And then you decided, uh-oh, we're going to need an additional income to go ahead and fund those down payments. And, and so it's kind of transitioned. And now you've got a, a bunch of stuff going on. So explain to me, what does business look like today? When did we start working together? That was about a year ago, right? A little year and a half, maybe? I want to say, yeah, yeah, closer to a year and a half. I want to say it was the su- end of the summer uh, in, was it 2020 or 2019? July of 20, I think. Yeah. July it was kind of like right when yeah. we had our, that initial opening after the initial lockdown of COVID, right? It was mm-hmm. right after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So yeah, a year and a half. What does business look like for you guys today? I mean, you can I pretty much call us uh, full on answers at this point, just because we do a little bit of every single part of it. Um, we find deals, wholesale deals, take down and, and uh, manage our own deals. We do hotels as well, be able to take them down, do a little rehab, put them on the market. Mm-hmm. We have done multifamily deals in the past as well, too. We've never done a commercial deal as of yet, but we have our first piece of land under contract right now. We have 10 to 11 acres in South Des Moines, Iowa that um, we just literally got under contract yesterday. So that's a whole nother step into a whole nother game of like servicing land or surveying land and getting that put together. And then I feel like there's a whole nother... Pro- oh, yeah. And then also, too, we have uh, Airbnb. So little bit of everything. And, and really, it's just whatever property makes sense for that exit strategy mm-hmm. or other way around. Exit strategy makes uh, sense for that property. 
So a little bit of everything, but our majority of our thing is we find deals and wholesale deals to uh, other investors here in the Des Moines market. And then of course we hold property too. We have 13 properties as of today um, under our control slash uh, we own outright or not own outright, but uh, own the leveraged money. I'll let Matt jump in. He's probably got two or three more <laughs> things I'm forgetting. Sure. No. And, and Matt, let me kind of tee you up a little bit also and kind of segue into the next question that I had. You know, you kind of hung out at, at the job a little bit longer than you had anticipated because COVID was kind of a blessing to the car industry, right? And you couldn't uh, couldn't yeah. walk away from those big paydays. So kind of leave off where or, or pick up where Tony left off. And if you can kind of share me some stats and some numbers of, of what actually enabled you to walk away from what was financially very fruitful. Yeah, um, definitely was one of the hardest decisions I think I've made is to leave the dealership. Um, we were setting record after record month. They had a budget, I think, last year of three and a half million for the store, and they more than doubled that by the end of the year. So that's an incredible amount of increase year over year. But the the biggest thing was I knew that I needed to make that step and go full time with Tony to be able to keep growing the business. We had so many things going on where Tony's running around trying to transaction coordinate and go on these appointments and set the appointments and then follow up on the new leads coming in. So I knew if we were going to get going any faster, I just had to make the jump and jump in and help Tony make those calls, set up those appointments. And since then, I've been out, I think, three months now, really about almost four. But the first couple of weeks, we just had newborn babies. So I didn't spend a lot of time in the business. I had, had a couple of things at home to attend to. But sure. now that we're about three months full-time into it, we're just really trying to systemize our process, focus on getting the leads called. Although we did have a pretty good first year, we had a bunch of leads that we that fell through the cracks we didn't follow up with. So the last three months, we've just been going back and hammering through calls, trying to catch up and pick up those deals. And we've got 10 houses actually on the contract right now because of that. And we've already closed on four this year for holds ourselves. So I'm off to a great start. Mm-hmm. Got a couple of people um, on the disposition side of those 10 contracts. Um, and then we just got a couple more signed up that we're starting to disposition. But yeah, what Tony mentioned, we're at 13 properties. I think our total um, in that year, we're at uh, $1.7 million in total uh, real estate under our control um, with about debt of about a million dollars, just over a million dollars. So we picked up some good equity and some great cash flow in that year. And mm-hmm. we just got to keep growing that. So that's the plan. Awesome. So one point seven net seven almost a million bucks in your first year of equity, right? If we added all the wholesales, we'd probably hit that number, right? Yeah, I think we did about 150,000 in wholesales. Okay. Perfect. So fantastic first year. And I think you kind of described to me a little bit logistically. And the reason I'm asking this question this way is because I think this is a big decision people deliberate with as far as real estate is going well. Um, do I wait until my income from real estate matches my day job or do I see so much opportunity? It makes sense for me to make the leap because I know that income will be there. So do you think it was more your decision, Matt, was more logistic driven or was it more financially like the security part driven? Logistic driven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm a little ways away from catching up to the dealership. Okay. All right. That's where I wanted to get at. So, but perfect. I mean, you saw the logistic gaps and then that resulted in 10 new deals just like that in three months. Yeah. Is that I definitely think we can keep that consistency throughout the year. And if we do 10 wholesale deals a month, then I'll be back to work. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So, hey, uh, if you're going to do this all over again 
And and Tony, I mean, you were you'd already walked away from your job before, right? Made the uh, decision that Matt made about being there 60, 70 hours a week or yeah, it's just, it's just a lot. Right. Okay. So what I'm not clear with was how much real estate or experience you had under your belt before we met. So personally, not a whole bunch, but my dad owned 19 properties uh, when he passed away. So I did kind of the disposition after that to help get rid of a bunch of those. I was only 17 at the time, or no, I was only 18 at the time. So I didn't have a lot of like uh, uh, power to be able to swing around and do what I would have liked to do if, or uh, I didn't have the knowledge today that I would have been able to use then as well too. But I got to witness it. I got to watch it. Um, as the, and the, you can ask Matt this as well too. I, I have pretty good connections in the community here for um, the laborers, the people that to fill the houses that we have. Um, there's just a I got to witness a lot of it and put it in place, but actual education-wise, very, very little to none. Okay, perfect. So I'm going to ask you both this question, since you guys did it very differently. If you were Mm -hmm. to go through this and make this transition from your normal day job to becoming a full-time real estate investor, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently? Like if I had the crystal ball, I would have taken my 401k money, put it all into Bitcoin the day that I signed up with you. Uh, quit my job, let that thing go up six times, and mm-hmm. uh, then borrowing from that out of a out of wallet and just investing in real estate the whole time, and then yeah. full blast the whole time. Well, the crystal ball. Looking, I know it'd have been a tough thing to walk away from that potential of the year, but I, looking back, that's what I wish I would have done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually have that same thought. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, 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 seriously, when I went to meet with you in Las Vegas, I had that in the back of my head. Like, should I just take my whole 401k right now, put it in, I think it was at $10,000 and then use that, but I didn't do it. And I stayed at the dealership. We did borrow the money. I borrowed the hundred grand or yeah, I borrowed a hundred grand from my 401k. And we used that to buy some deals, burr out of them and while it's working. But I wish mm-hmm. I just took it all, put it into that and then borrowed mm-hmm. against it. You know, that's when you brought something up that a lot of people are very emotional about and that is their 401k. And, and depending on how long they've been at their job, it could have gone to a, you know, they got 10 years at a certain position and they've been contributing to it. Now it's like, it's this amount and it's not enough to retire on, but it is a, a decent amount in, in many cases. And the idea of pulling that out and thinking of taxes and penalties and all that type of stuff really frightens people into just leaving it there and doing nothing. What would you say to somebody? Because I, I know there's some mouths dropping open and they're like, oh my God, what a, what an idiot. I, he would have, should have never done that or something, whatever that's going through people's minds. What would you say to them? What, do you have any uh, regrets about doing that? Um, so I didn't take it out, but I wish I would have. My financial advisor advised me against it because of the taxable benefits of it or the taxable consequences of it. But looking back, I mean, easily if I would have made those moves, that 40% hit, I mean, even if it was 40%, which it probably wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been nothing, you know what I mean, compared to what I could have made on. Right. So I remember when we were sitting in Las Vegas, you talked about how when you're investing in the 401k, you're kind of retiring your money now so that you can use it later. And I've really been thinking about that ever since that moment on how I can kind of free up that money. And now that I'm out of the dealership, I'm working on rolling it into a self-directed IRA so we can use it as private money lending on our deals and just mm-hmm. keep building it um, since it is still all intact. Um, I think that's my new plan with it. It just kind of depends on the, on the situation. I think maybe for some people, it might not be the best move depending on where they're at in their life. 
but in other other people's situations, I think it might be the way to go. So, right. I agree. I think it depends. If you've got a plan for that money and it's going to produce more for you now than it would later, then absolutely. You know, even despite all the, the taxes and the penalties, if you're going to make up for it, then, you know, why not enjoy the benefit now? Because you guys are both super young, right? And so, I mean, you really want to wait till you're 62 years old before you get that, that money? Or could you put it together now and have a whole lot more money to play with by the time you hit the age of 62, right? Tony, um, if you were to, uh, now that you had a time, chance to think about it, if you had to do it all over, what would you do differently? Um, I think like Matt said, I, I would have went all in faster. Uh, of course, you just have this thing in the back of your mind uh, thinking, you know, I mean, is this the right idea? Is this something? That, but the, the thing that I've learned just in experience in life so far is um, persistence uh, pays. So as long as you stay persistent with something, um, and especially if it's something like this that's a proven uh, asset range or proven income, uh, just staying persistent with it and actually doing the day-to-day and making the phone calls and uh, making the relationships and all that. If uh, I, th- I feel like if I would have built that stronger in the beginning, we'd be double as far as we were today. Yeah, I, I think relationships and then going all in in my mind instead of uh, the second guessing. Right, just going, just committing. Yeah, it's something that's proven. I, I agree. That's that's a good way of putting it. I mean, it's proven, so just commit yeah, to it over and over. Yep, over and over. Super. So let me ask you, what are your been your three favorite things about working with Epic? Tony, you go first. The communication, uh, being able to send you a message and it get responded in a timely manner is awesome. It's as Matt will probably tell you this. It's helped us tremendously in not making the mistakes because we have somebody that knows what he's doing slash has been through those experiences before. Uh, we still ask you questions. I feel like we just asked you a question this week that you answered immediately. Um, and like, and like you said earlier, we, we've been in this over a year now to where, uh, you know, you kind of could have put us off a little bit, but no, it's an immediate answer right then and there. And it got us right to where we needed to be. So I'd say open communication is number one. Um, that's so awesome. Um, the educational videos are insane. Um, and then third, uh, I learned from seeing, so being able to go and meet with you was a big thing and uh, your intro to this, uh, I would love to come down and see your guys set up, uh, in the new office or whatever. I, I didn't know that you were transitioning to an office down there. So mm-hmm. I would love to come and see that at some point. Yes. Well, the invitation is open. So anytime you yeah. want yeah, yeah uh, for sure. Saturday, all remodeling and everything should be done. I'll be, my office is done today. I'll be moving in the office tomorrow. And then, uh, but we have a huge classroom now. I mean, a ginormous yeah. classroom and uh, that's all being done. It's really cool. Yeah. So please, we're about to do the investor labs anyway. So we're going to have our monthly mastermind day. So you can nice. come, come and go to those as many times or as little as times as you want. Okay. Okay. Super. For sure. Matt, anything to add to the uh, favorite parts about working with Epic? Yeah, I think the education um, and then the support throughout the, the, uh, the process anytime we got stuck and then the creative aspect to it. Um, oh, yeah. I feel like we really have saved a lot of our deals with that creative aspect, which we started in the beginning kind of going in, trying to get these creative deals put together. Um, and then we kind of learned throughout time that it's best to maybe just get the house under contract, figure out that if we can make the deal work traditionally. And if it doesn't work, we've been transitioning back to that creative conversation once we're already under contract saying, Hey, you know, we, this isn't really quite working the way we thought it would. Um, and then we go back to either like a subject two or some kind of option like that. Like we just put a deal together where we gave a lady $10,000 down 
with a balloon in 120 days of 50,000. So the house is worth a hundred grand. It doesn't need any work. We put a renter in it uh, like two days after we closed and we're in the process of getting a loan in place on that property for that 50 grand. So we'll be in it, no money and we acquired a house. Um, and I wow. think without going through this course, we would have never have thought about doing that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So before we started recording, Tony and I were talking just a little bit and you said you were really excited about 2022, right? So now both of you guys are freed from your corporate jobs and now it's all in on real estate investing. So tell me, what, what are you so excited about for 2022? What do you see for the future? I think being able to consistently get that wholesaling business down to a consistent monthly number where, where we're doing it part-time. We had that where you fill your pipeline up you sell through all your houses and you have to like rush back in to fill your pipeline and you have those lulls where you're not getting a deal close every month. And we're trying to get a deal close every week. So we're getting paid constantly. Um, so I think just to be able to get that consistency and the deal flow um, to be able to re- in turn take a salary back from the business and mm-hmm. keep growing our rental portfolio. We do have some commercial lending, but we still have, I still have four mortgages I could put on my name and Tony has 10. So um, we definitely want to get a salary going, use up those mortgages and then go back to the commercial side. So perfect. And then roll them right back into a, a, a portfolio loan and start all over again. Right. Super. Yep. You got it. Tony, what are you most excited about? Anything to add to that? Yeah. Um, just the opening of opportunities. Like I said, we just, uh, got under contract some land. It's something that we never really thought about before. Uh, we were only thinking houses. And so, um, that opens up a lot of options to either just wholesale that land, uh, actually get it surveyed and parcel it out, or maybe even try developing down the road. We don't have the con- our connections in place right now to do the developing, but we're on track and we're meeting people constantly. We've started having realtors ask us for, to go to lunches. That's kind of cool and new. I should show you my Facebook messenger. It's kind of mind blowing. I probably have 40 people in there asking me how to wholesale slash how did I start slash what happened? Um, what was the downfall? Stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So just our market is noticing us. Um, that, that makes me feel good too. People calling us asking them questions and stuff. Right. It's remarkable, isn't it? It's fun too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, action. Right. The action speaks for itself for sure. And people follow that. They're mm-hmm. attracted to it. One thing I, we were also talking about before we started recording was I was telling you about Corey, uh, who one of my older students, and he's been very, very successful. And I remember the day that he quit his job and on his way out, his boss actually called, asked him into the office and said, hey, uh, I'm kind of tired of this place too. What are you going to go do? Can I come with you? And uh, it made me think of the story that you just shared. So kind of share a little bit about that, Tony. So we kind of hired on our first employee and uh, it's interesting. Um, I shouldn't say first employee, first caller. Uh, he, he is known as one of the better closers here in the state of Iowa when it came to car deals or car uh, sales. Transitioning his uh, word tracks and, and verbatim uh, or verbiage uh, into a housing market took a little bit of uh, time, like a couple of weeks to try to get that switched over. But now our boss is our employee as of today. Uh, so it was quite, quite the transition that way. Uh, almost the same exact thing as this Corey, but it actually happened. Not the guy just asked. Right. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you guys want to stick around just answer a couple questions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Cool. Sure. Um, if you have any questions, frozen, then uh, go ahead and fire them in the, into the chat, the live chat there. And if you like what you're hearing, let us know by hitting the like button. 
that'll let YouTube know that you like it too. And they'll show it to more people and more people get to benefit from this. So this question right here, good one uh, from Rob. Do you all find that homes for sale from distressed sellers seem to come about easier now that you are in the rental business? I don't know that it's easier to find distressed properties that were in the rental business. I think we understand that portion of the business a little better. So when we're talking to an absentee owner about the situation, when they're saying that they're having a problem with water in the basement or whatever the issue is announced, we've kind of gone through it. So you can Mm -hmm. have that rapport and common ground. Um, I think it's easier to kind of have those conversations when they can tell you know what you're talking about as well. Because definitely in the beginning, when you're talking to the people and you're just winging it, um, some people right. catch you. Um, so I think just being in it kind of helps a little bit. Right. Um, but I don't know that it helped you find more sellers that way. Let's go deeper into that. A lot of people are, are thinking that the market is so hot that no one wants to sell their house at a discount, but obviously you're still finding them. So I think people think it's so hot that it's a good time to sell their house because they're taking a, they take advantage before it's too late. So I think you run into that a lot. Um, but I think the absentee owner is still our biggest area of deals. We find the most of our deals from absentee owner. Uh, we do get a little bit of people that have been in their house for five to seven years and they're just to the point where they want to move and we're the easiest answer. Um, but I think the majority of our deals still come from the absentee owner. From the absentee owners. And how are you reaching out to them? We're using Go for Close primarily. We just started our first direct mail campaign, but we've been using Go for Close and we just call the leads as they come in. And now that we are full time, we're going back and we're recalling all the leads we've gotten since the beginning. Um, so even the ones that we did have conversations with in the beginning and we didn't do the greatest with and we didn't make them deals, we're just calling mm-hmm. back fresh like we never talked to them forever. And nice. we just. Um, working on re-putting together that deal just from, just like it's brand new. So Tony, is that where these, these last 10 deals came from just following up with old leads? Um, maybe three or four of them might've been uh, new leads, but the majority of them are definitely uh, rekindling deals or rekindling leads. Right. Are you, um, you finding that like your old leads and as a lot of people do once they've been in the business for a while, if they'll actually go through the process, finding that your old leads are your best leads. Oh, 100% they're the best. Yeah, yeah. I, It's surprising the amount of people that don't want to call somebody. Uh, you just got to think about it in your own, your own life. Like today, I'm way different of a position than I was six months ago than I was a year ago. So just think every time you touch that person, you're planting that seed that, hey, I'm the answer for you when the time is ready. Mm-hmm. Here's, what, here's a question. And I know I just walked you guys through this, but I'll let you guys explain it. You guys doing any sub twos? Yeah, yeah. We actually have, uh, yes. we own three sub twos and I think we have two under contract right now. So the, the last one, if I remember correctly, the last one I just, I, you reached out to me, Matt, was something a little bit creative. <laughs> Can you explain that one to me? Yeah. So the one, last one I reached out to you about, we took over a property. Um, she refinanced it with a home equity line of credit. Um, and her grandma was living in there. She has her own residence. Her grandma was living in this one and she was just renting it to her grandma. Her grandma needed to move to an assisted living facility. Um, and she went to go sell that house with the realtor, but because she had so much debt on it from her home equity line of credit, she has mm-hmm. no equity. So she'd had to come out of pocket to pay the realtor's commissions to sell the house. Um, so we gave her a thousand dollars and took over the, the lien and then as we were doing that, we realized it was a home equity line of credit. And they're like, 
well, shoot, um, she could probably draw back on that line of credit. So that's right. why I reached out to you and try to get those answered. And we have to get that set up so she cannot do that. But and, and it's just this, an interesting deal. I how can you do that? Because that's a, that's that a that unique much. situation with something that I had actually never encountered. But uh, we pulled our resources together and got a good answer. So how did it work out? Um, we haven't got it completed yet. Okay, <laughs> but the, what we, we need to have do a plan is of have action. a conversation with her, and uh, yeah, basically we got to get on the phone with her and her bank. Let her n- bank know that we are the property managers of the of the property, mm-hmm. and that if she was to increase that line, we'd have to be notified and also give the okay because we have got interest it. in the property. Very good. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Good. No, you're right. No, we are in the process of doing that. We just have like seven different things going on at all times. So, Perfect. Let me ask you this question because this is going to come up a lot and I think it could become an issue, particularly if the Fed does raise the rates in, in March and again in June and, and maybe a couple more times by the end of the year where the, the mortgage rates are going to be changing, right? Um, and that could have a negative impact on subject twos. I don't know for sure, um, but it certainly could as you know, the, the new loans being written up at a higher rate might make them, the banks a little bit more inclined to go back and call the, uh, the original subject twos due because they're at such a, a low rate and maybe they, they might want to rewrite them at a higher rate. So that's kind of what, that's the philosophy. And it hasn't been an issue because over the last 30 years, rates are going down, 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 and there hasn't been a whole lot of incentive for banks to call those due. Um, walk me through your process when uh, you're taking over subject two. Tony, maybe you can do this one. Do you actually call the bank? Do you use a trust? What is your strategy for that? So we don't typically talk to the bank. I know that's an important step, um, but we just kind of roll the dice until it happens where we get into some heat and then we kind of figure it out. So we haven't really had too many issues. We did have um, one of the the banks just show up at a property. We're rehabbing it. Mm -hmm. Um, A lady from the bank just walked up, knocked on the door, was taking pictures of the house, had no idea what she was doing. And um, I told her I was the new owner of the property. Little did I know that she was from the bank that has the loan on the property still. Uh Um, But nothing ever came of it. She never came back. Um, And then they sent us a letter a few days later that said that the foreclosure process was no longer in process. So, um, but yeah, that's a perfect example where they know that we own it and we're just picking over the payments. So if they were to come to us to say that they wanted to call the loan due, we would probably try to go that trust route and see if we could save it. If not, we'd just refinance out of it if possible. Got it. Got it. Interesting. Typically, um, our, our idea is to burr out of them as our plan going into right, them. Right. So that's why we didn't go through all those steps up front. Mm-hmm. But we did partner with Anderson Business Advisors to do the trust okay. side of things. We just mm-hmm. never went through full circle with it. Okay. Super. Uh, next question here. We'll go ahead and wrap this up right after this one. What if I have capital but lack consistent proof of work history? How do I get in the game? That seems like more of a question to you. <laughs> it does kind of, right? <laughs> but I got you guys here. I just want to know what you guys' advice would be. People here, my, for 10 years, they've been hearing my advice on this show about that specific thing. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what you guys would say. I don't know what lack of concept or work history means. Um, like, mm-hmm. so it's basically saying that they don't have consistent jobs, so they can't get a traditional loan. And in that case, I would either find somebody that you could partner with that can get the loan, um, and do a deal with them or two, or see if you could lend somebody the money and let them show you the process, but you don't make sure that they know what they're doing before you give them your money or just try to find a creative solution, like 
someone that really is behind on payments and you happen to have enough funds to catch those payments up and take over that loan. Something mm-hmm. so I do like that could work too. Got it. Okay. Now that you read that question totally differently than I did, and I think you nailed it. He says, what if I have capital? That rarely comes across. But I have capital, but lack of work history. So it probably yeah. means they don't having trouble getting the financing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. what I would think. They're not getting the All financing. Right. There's and actually that I'll is put tough this, to do the financing right? side. I'll put a little, it's not going to be the best rates, but it's better than hard money. What's it called? Let's go to uh, right here for, for long-term holds. Epic lending home could be a really good uh, source for long-term holds. It's, it's going to be more expensive than your traditional banks, but they are going to look at the deal before they look at you or more so than they're looking at you. And uh, it could be good enough until you are able to go ahead and do a right refinance. Okay. With a more traditional sense. But uh, we've used that a couple times already. Let's see. Uh, da, da, da. We'll do okay. We'll do one more. Here we go. Here's for Jason. All right, Tony. This might this is a land question. I think right. Land is an easier and higher yielding option for investors that dig in 200 plus percent returns. Though the deals are generally much smaller in value. What are your plans with the land? That's the thing is we don't have the exit plan yet. Uh, part of it is we need to have the land surveyed. And then also to just to our local investors that we've kind of put the birdie in their ear about it. Um, we have the, some good amount of interest. So most likely on this one, we'll just watch the process and wholesale the deal than actually doing it. But the nice thing about it is we have another house under contract that has 11 acres just probably five to 10 minutes farther south than that one that we can actually run that process on. And that one has a house on it. Um, so it's a little bit more of a safer gig for us because it's something we've done on a consist- uh, consistent basis. Um, that That's the best way I could answer that question in my mind, just because we're so fresh into the land game that we don't have a lot of experience with it yet. So we, we're going to it's probably be asking you some questions and also too asking our community some questions mm-hmm. as well. Perfect. All right, guys. Well, let's wrap it up. I, I really appreciate you guys taking the time out and uh, congratulations, Matt, for being your own boss now. And then uh, you guys have a great year and you guys know how to get in touch with me if you need me already. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Right. Thank you. Take care, guys. And that wraps up the epic show. If you found this episode valuable, who else do you know that might too? There's a really good chance you know someone else who would. And when their name comes to mind, please share it with them and ask them to click the subscribe button when they get here and I'll take great care of them. God loves you and so do I. Health, peace, blessings, and success to you. I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. Yeah, yeah, we got cash flow. You didn't know, homeboy, we got cash flow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.